Welcome to Hope Community Church of Hickory. We are so glad you decided to join us online. Make sure and hit the follow and notification buttons to keep up to date with all of our sermons. Here is our latest message. In youth conferences and things like that. And uh, there was one, there was a couple of weeks where I was working this conference up in Virginia. And um, I was one of the AVL guys. I was the pro presenter guy. Jordan, I know what that life is like back there. Um, that was kind of where I got my start. And, um, but at the end of some of those services, uh, sometimes they would let us leave our post and go down at the front whenever they would give an invitation um, so we could pray uh, with any kids that wanted to respond. And uh, one, one day, one night of the conference, I remember doing that, and I went down front, and I had a little boy come up to me, uh, I'll never forget, <laughs> a little sixth grade guy named Terrence. Uh, Chubby little sucker, you know, he, he was he was cute, he was adorable. <laughs> but he uh, he walks down, and he comes up to me, and I was like, hey, man, I'm Kenny. Hey, I'm Terrence. So what, what brings you down here? He says, I don't know who Jesus is. I was like, okay, is this like your first time at a church thing? He said, no, I've been in church my entire life. I've been in, I've gone to all the youth group events and everything, but, he, but he's at a point in his life where he's realizing he doesn't really know who Jesus is. So I said, okay, you want to talk about it? So uh, we, we went um, back into another room, and I, I just kind of like walked him through the story of God, you know, Genesis through the resurrection, and walking him through there. And like the whole time I'm, I'm talking to him, you know, it's like that stone-faced middle schooler, you know, just looking at me like the whole time. And so it's just, you kind of feel like you're talking to a brick wall. But I noticed that any time I would ever mention the love of God, or that God loved his people, or God loved him, his face would light up a little bit. And part of, me, that, part of that excited me. The other part of me thought, like, man, what's this kid going through? That the love of God is what's sticking out to him so much right here. And I didn't know, but we kept going. And then so um, after I was done talking uh, to him, telling him all about Jesus, I asked him, I said, do you want to accept Jesus? And he said he did. And so uh, we prayed together, and he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And then being the good Baptist conference that it was, we had those decision cards that we had to fill out afterwards, right? So uh, I give him the card. He's got to fill out his information. He's got to fill out his name, his address, what church he came from, what age he was. And then there was a part to, where he had to indicate the decision he made that day. And I'm helping him fill out this card, and we get to that point where he's supposed to indicate his decision. And I'm about to say, say you have a new life with Christ. You know, say you're a new creation. Say you gave your heart to him. And I was going to say a number of those things, but in that moment, I felt like the Holy Spirit just said, Kenny, shut up. <laughs> and I did. And I just watched. And I, I, I watched Terrence write, the decision I made today was to love Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, in that moment, I about lost it. Because here's a kid who is just introduced to the gospel, just coming to the realization of who Jesus is, and he gets it better than most of us do. Because it's not about what we do. It's not about what we give up. It's not about what we wear. It's not about what we sing. It's not about coming to Hope Hickory. It's about loving Jesus. That's why we live the life that we live. That's why we follow his way of life. It's why we come to church and we sing songs to him, because we love him. And this is only possible because First John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. Make no mistake for our first point for today. Love is the foundation of the gospel. Nothing else. This is the very first verse we learned growing up in church. For God so what? Loved the world. 
Not that he was so mad at Satan. Not that he was so fed up with sin. Not that he was so annoyed with humanity, but because he so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. It all starts with his love. It's also the first song we learned growing up in church. I believe it's one of the most theologically profound lines you will ever sing in your life is Jesus loves me, this I know. We can never outgrow or outsmart his love. But too often, we become a little callous to that truth. It becomes a cliche. It becomes a passive-aggressive comment. But most of the time, the way we continue to grow spiritually is actually getting back to the basics. And we need to allow the truth of his love to continually consume us on a regular basis. And why does he love us? Because he does. (laughs) He loves you because he loves you. (laughs) It's who he is. 1 John 4, 8 says, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. His very nature, who he is, defines what love is. And Paul, I think we talked about this last week or week before a little bit, but Paul, he prayed for the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, and he prayed that we would all be able to comprehend what's the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of God that passes knowledge. Why? Because he says that so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Do you want to be filled with God? Do you want to experience the fullness of God in your life? Think about how much he loves you. And greater love has no one than this than someone would lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did for you and for me. And whenever we do everything we can to wrap our minds around how deeply and how truly Jesus loves us in spite of us, It changes everything, and it completely re-identifies us. Because when you come to accept the love of Jesus, you are no longer defined by your old self, but rather you are defined by what Jesus has done for you and his love for you. You know, John, the writer of this gospel, he chose to identify himself by the love of Jesus. Five times in this gospel, whenever he, he refers to himself, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, some might think that's a little prideful, might be a little arrogant. Well, John, you think you're the only disciple Jesus loved? Might be debatable to John, right? But I would actually lean towards thinking that he did this more out of a place of humility and acceptance than he did pride. See, because I believe it would actually be more prideful to not accept it. (laughs) If I ever get to the place where I would say something like, oh, no, God could never love me. No, I've done too much. I've had this go on in the past. You know, I don't even know how to love myself. There's no way that God can love me. I would say that is actually more prideful because that's me saying what I think and feel about myself is more powerful than what God thinks and feels about me and what he says about me. That's also me at the place thinking where there's something I could do or some sin that I could commit that is more powerful than the love of God. Now, that I think might be a little arrogant and prideful if I thought that highly of myself. See, John, he was less worried about earning God's love or deserving God's love or trying to decide how he saw himself. Rather, he just lived his life infatuated with how much God loved him. And as a result, he was different. Even from the other disciples, he was different. When all the other disciples deserted Jesus and scattered and hid in fear, the only disciple we have a record of actually being at the foot of the cross while Jesus was up there was John. He was right there beside Mary. And I believe that was a direct result of where he chose to find his identity. 
He wasn't just a fisherman. He wasn't just a sinner. He wasn't just a disciple. He was loved by Jesus. And we need more Christians that will choose to identify themselves with the love that God has for them over everything else. Because his love is the reason why, if anyone's in Christ, we're a new creation. His love is the reason why we can be declared righteous. His love is the reason why we are redeemed from the clutches of sin and darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his son. His love is the reason why we can be called sons and daughters of the king of the universe. That's who you are. That's what defines you. Your sins don't define who you are. Your faults, your failures, your past regrets, your current struggles do not define who you are. Any traumatic experience you've ever encountered in your life does not define you. Your identity, if you choose to accept it, is found in the love of God and the completed work of Jesus. That's why I love so much that song we just sang. I love that line in the bridge that says, I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way he loves us. I don't have time to get caught up beating myself up or feeling sorry for myself or about how bad I've been because his love is way too important and valuable to give anything else my attention. Now, don't get me wrong. This isn't a get-out-of-sin-free card. Okay? This isn't me saying, well, you just live however you want to live or do whatever you feel like doing because God's going to love you and forgive you anyway. I'm not saying that because that mindset is still making everything all about you. And it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about Jalisa. It's not about anyone else in here. This is all about Jesus, centering our attention and our focus on him, choosing to identify ourselves through him and allow him to set the tone of every single area of our life. It's all about Jesus. And that's what I felt like Terrence got from the very beginning and what we, I feel like, keep forgetting a lot. We need more Christians who are willing to step up and not compromise. And live the life Jesus died in order to give us because God so loved us and now we get to so love him back. With that framework set, let's take a look at John chapter 11 together. I know that was probably a little bit long of an intro, but we're going to continue walking through the book of John together. And we're going to jump around most of this chapter, but we'll start here in verse 1 and I'll kind of guide you where we're going. Verse 1 says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and and, uh, her sister Martha. It was this Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment, who wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Skip down to verse 17. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Let's skip down to verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Let's pray together. We're going to need a little bit more faith. 
Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for being here in this room. Father, I pray that we would have a group here today that truly centers ourselves on your love. I pray your presence will be so thick and tangible as we talk about your love today. And Father, I pray that even those who come in to work out later this afternoon will be able to feel a difference in the atmosphere here because your presence and your glory has been resting here with us. Father, thank you so much for who you are and who we get to be in you. We love you. We love you. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Now, if you look at the way Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, I believe it shows us for our second point today that God is motivated by his love. They said, Lord, he whom you love is sick. Now, that seems pretty general. Doesn't Jesus love everybody? Doesn't he love the little children of all the world, right? He loves everyone. This seems pretty general. They could have said it so many different ways. They could have said, Jesus, our brother is sick. You say, Jesus, your servant, Lazarus, is sick. You say, Jesus, your boy, Lazzy, he's about to die. But they don't even say his name. Why? Because they understood that what moves the heart of God is not what we can do. It's not what we can bring to the table. It's not our position. It's not even how much we go to church, pray, and read our Bible. They understood that what moves the heart of God more than anything else is his love for them. Which is also what makes the next few verses a little confusing. Verses 5 and 6 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. At first glance, I'm thinking, wait, if Jesus loved them, wouldn't he drop everything and get there as soon as he could? But then, oh, yeah, I love them, but I'll give it a couple days, right? Seems very odd. And our assumption would be that if someone were to act like that, they actually don't really care about us and they're not really loving. However, those conclusions are drawn from our versions and our definitions of love. And our version of love is more about the avoidance of pain. But C.S. Lewis, he once explained when he was talking about the love of God, he said, God, in his love, allows us to experience low points of life in order to teach us lessons that we could learn in no other way. I've heard it said before, God cannot greatly use someone until he first breaks them. And we talked a little bit about this the other week, but you'll hear it so often. Well, if God was really loving, he wouldn't allow bad things to happen, especially not letting bad things happen to good people. And we get so caught up in that idea because we're naturally inclined to look for someone to blame whenever things go bad. Just look at Adam in the garden, right? First he blames Eve, and then he blames God for giving him Eve, right? But as long as sin exists, brokenness and sickness and hardship and pain will continue to exist. Sin and suffering have a cause and effect relationship. The day that sin entered into the world, death, pain, suffering, all that entered in with it. And we would like to believe that only good things should happen to good people and only bad things should happen to bad people. That would be easier. That would put the ball in our court. That would allow us to be better explain the pain without acknowledging there's anything outside of our control. But the problem with that is, is we would have to determine what our standard for good is and where it comes from. And whenever the standard for what is good and bad is left up to, deter, to the determination of the individual, well, inevitably ideas are going to clash and chaos is going to ensue as a result. 
I think we see that pretty clearly in 2023. Also, if we hold to the conviction that people should get what they deserve, well, then we put ourselves on a very slippery slope, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus said no one is good except God alone. And, you know, Christianity does not believe that only good things should happen to good people and only bad things should happen to bad people. Christianity definitely doesn't hold to the view that people should get what they deserve. Because the basis of our faith is that Jesus went to a cross that he didn't deserve to offer us forgiveness that we didn't deserve. In fact, as Andy Stanley once put it, he said, Christianity believes that the worst possible thing happened to the best possible person. Brokenness exists because sin exists. And the love of God caused him to look into our world. And no, he did not eradicate the pain. Because in order to eradicate that, he'd have to eradicate all of sin, which means he'd have to take all of us out with it. So instead, he chose to write himself into the brokenness and said, I'm going to go through it with you and for you because I love you. Now, C.S. Lewis, he once uh, told of a friend uh, named Dorothy Sayers, a dear friend of his, close friend. And he described her as a tall woman, not particularly attractive, but she was, had a brilliant mind. And she was a writer of detective fiction. She was one of the first graduates, female graduates from Oxford University. And she became this renowned author, and she wrote a series of novels called the Lord Peter Whimsy Stories. Now, Lord Peter, her main character, he was an aristocratic detective who solved mind-twisting mysteries, but he was single, and he was alone. And then at one point in the middle of the series, seemingly out of nowhere, there's a woman introduced into this series and named Harriet Vane. And she is described in the novel as tall, not particularly attractive, one of the first women to graduate from Oxford and a writer of detective fiction. She and Lord Peter fall in love. They get married, and they solve mysteries together. Now, many speculated, she never confirmed, but many speculated that the author looked into the world that she created within her novel. She looked into the life of the character that she created, and she saw his loneliness. She felt his pain, and so she chose to write herself into the story to save him. And, you know, that's exactly what God did for us. He looked into our world, the world he created. He wrote himself into his own creation in the person of Jesus Christ just in order to save us. And then he intentionally preserved hundreds of eyewitnesses accounts of who he is within the Bible so we can continually learn more about him. And one of the most overwhelming aspects of his character and nature that is so clear is that he desperately wants us to know more about his love. And I believe that we see here in John chapter 11 that he would rather us focus less on the miracle he performs and more on the love that he possesses and offers to us freely. Because the point of the gospel is that he literally loved you to death. And so we see that what motivates God to move is his love, his heart for us. And we also see for our next point that God's love is personal. God's love doesn't always give us exactly what we want and when we want it. They wanted Jesus there right away. But God's love does always give us exactly what we need most and meet us exactly where we are. And what we need more than anything else is a greater knowledge of who he is, an understanding of who he is. Now, Jesus did not cause Lazarus to die, right? In fact, more likely based on the timeline that we see here, Lazarus was probably already dead by the time Jesus had even received word. 
about it. However, Jesus did take his time. He tarried. He lollygags, if you're familiar with that term. (laughs) And in his wisdom and discernment and his love, he was going to use this tragedy to reveal more of who he is. Jesus says in verse 4, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Jesus is saying the way that sickness and death is not going to win is if I'm able to reveal more of myself and I'm able to get glory from it. And then verse 17, it says, so when Jesus came, he found that he had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Now, this is very significant. And this is how I know for a fact that Jesus was very intentional about his timing. It wasn't the immediate response everyone was looking for, but this is is how he was going to get the most glory. Because many Jews at that time, they had the belief in the superstition that once a person would pass away, the spirit of that person would hover over the body for the next three days. And within those three days, there was still hope that that person could get healed and restored and brought back to life. They weren't fully dead yet within those first three days. But on the fourth day, that's when the spirit would leave the body completely and all hope would be lost. Now, they all knew Jesus had the power to heal. That's why they wanted him there soon. But he got there on the fourth day, and so now all hope is gone. They couldn't fathom that he could have ultimate power over death. We see that throughout the Gospels over and over again. Jesus tells his disciples sometimes very plainly, he says, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to rise up three days later. And they all think he's still talking in figures of speeches, right, because they just couldn't really fathom that he could have that actual amount of power. It wasn't until after the crucifixion and resurrection that anyone could believe it until they actually saw it. So Jesus, he had healed all kinds of sicknesses and disabilities and diseases, and every single one of those healings was a metaphor and illustration for his power over the effects of sin. But now he's going to show a glimpse of his power over death, and yet he does so in a very personal and loving manner. When he arrives on the scene, he's approached by each of the sisters at different times. Now both of the sisters say the same exact thing to Jesus, but he has a completely different response for both of them. What's interesting, because Martha, she gets to him first. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus is really straightforward and direct with her. It's almost as if he's somewhat rebuking her. And he says, your brother will rise again. She says, yeah, yeah, I know. At the end of times, when all things are fulfilled, he'll rise again. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into the world. You see, what Jesus understood about Martha is he knew exactly what she needed in that moment. Martha, we see from other passages, Martha is a doer, right? She's a go-getter. Maybe you're familiar, we referenced it a little bit last week, you're familiar with that account in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus is over at Mary and Martha's house and Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Where's Martha? Well, she's cooking, she's serving, she's working, she's taking care of everything and everybody. She was the type of person that always had to be doing something and taking care of people. Things always needed to be moving forward for her. So Jesus, knowing her better than anyone else on the planet would, knew that what she needed more than anything else at that moment was assurance that things weren't over, that Jesus was still working for her even when there was nothing she could do. Now, Mary was different. Mary wasn't a doer. Mary was a feeler. Mary didn't need assurance. Mary needed someone to cry with her. 
And Jesus, in his infinite love and wisdom, knew exactly what each individual needed at the exact moment that they needed it because his love is personal. And he loves each of us the exact way we need to be loved. It might not always be the way we want to be loved. It might not be in the exact timing that would be easier and most comfortable for us, but he knows exactly what we need when we need it. Now, his response to Martha makes a whole lot more sense to me than his one to Mary does. Because if you look down at verse 32, Mary comes up to Jesus with the same exact thing that her sister just said. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Remember that word groan. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. Man, John eleven thirty five is the shortest verse in the Bible, but I believe it's one of the most theologically profound things we'll ever read in the New Testament. Jesus wept. Because why would he weep? Because if I'm Jesus in this situation, I'm arriving on the scene ready to perform a miracle. I'm about to blow everybody's mind. I'm about to raise somebody from the dead. Spoiler alert if you didn't know what was going to happen, right? Just a few short moments. Everyone's going to be going from crying to celebrating, Right? He's about to turn mourning into dancing, praise God. I'd be saying, where's your faith? Dry your eyes. Watch what I'm about to do. But that is not the heart of our Savior. Yes, he knows the victory that's going to come. He knows the pain's not going to last forever. He knows that ultimately he is going to take care of it all, but yet he still takes the time to feel the pain and cry with you. Man, some of the cliche sayings that I hear at funerals, especially down here in the South. The Southerners just do funerals strangely, right? Man, but I'll hear things like, well, it was just her time. Well, God decided he needed another angel. God decided it was time to take her home. I remember being a sophomore in high school. One of my best friends that year, um, he, he passed away in a car accident. He got in a, a fight with his parents. He, took, he got out of the house. He, he stormed off in a car and then blew through a stop sign, got hit by a fire truck going full speed responding to a call. Right? And I remember being at church the next Sunday. And the uh, same church him and his whole family went to. And... The, the speaker saying, don't you cry for that boy. He said, your tears are selfish. He said, no, he, he's dancing and celebrating with Jesus right now. You need to be happy for him. And I, remember, I was there 16, 17 years old trying to dry my eyes, trying to, like, suck it up, right, because I didn't want to be selfish. And then the older I got, the more I realized, no, God created those emotions, you know, to help us work through and process through the pain. And if Jesus took the time to weep, even when he knew the eternal glory, and we should take the time to weep, too, knowing that he weeps with us. And a couple of years ago, I had a lady in our church who I was pretty close with. Holly was my buddy. She cut my hair once a month. And uh, she passed away in a freak tractor accident, completely unexplained. Single mom, 16-year-old little girl. And I hear people saying things like, well, it was just her time. God decided to take her home. I'm like, don't you dare tell that little girl that God took her mother away from her. What kind of view of God is that going to give a little teenage girl 
who's going through a traumatic experience like that. God did not take her life. Sin and the brokenness of this world led to that tragic accident. But whenever death came for her, God in his love and his mercy provided a way that made it impossible for death to win. God didn't take her. Rather, he caught her and brought her into eternal life whenever death tried to come take her away. I think that's what David was getting at when he talked about the shadow of death, right? I, I remember hearing uh, a story one time about a guy who, uh, sorry, I'm getting off notes here, Matt, but um, this guy, uh, he was driving along in a car with his son in the backseat. His son probably couldn't have been four, more than four or five years old. And he asked his dad, what, is, what does the shadow of death mean? Does it mean, though, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? And honestly, the dad's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> but at that moment, uh, 18-wheeler came storming by them, and the shadow of it just touched over the car. Now, at full speed, that truck would have taken them out, and the truck got close, but just the shadow passed over. And he said, you know what? That's what it means. Because when death tries to come and take us out, only the shadow can pass over us because Jesus has provided the way for us to have eternal life. I think it's very clear from our passage today that God hates pain. He hates sin and the toll it's taken on his children. And he hates death. Remember, I told you, remember that word groan. In verse 33 where it says Jesus groaned in the spirit. That word literally means to snort with anger. Jesus is ticked off at death here in this passage. And he was going to do something about it. Let's look at verse 38 through 44. It says, then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's going to be a stench, because he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know you always hear me. But because of the people who were standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face wrapped with the cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Come on, everybody. This is the gospel. Christianity is not about bad people becoming good. It's about dead people coming alive in Christ. And all of us at some point, if not now, were lying dead in that tomb, not knowing true life, wrapped up in our sin, wrapped up in our addictions, our depression, our anger, our bitterness. The list could go on and on. But Jesus died. And he rose again, and he conquered sin, and he conquered death, and he commanded that stone to be rolled away from all of our tombs. But for too long, we just stayed there, struggling, trying to loose ourselves, trying to find our own way out. And then the day comes where we hear the voice of our Savior calling out to us, Son, daughter, come out. And then we follow his voice, and we come to him, but we're still wrapped up. And all the guilt and all the shame and all these regrets. And Jesus looks at us. He sees all the wrappings. He sees how we're bound hand and foot. He sees all the struggles. He sees all the hurt. He sees all the pain. And he declares to all of it, loose him and let him go. But notice the wrappings don't instantly fall off. Notice he tells the people around him to loose him and let him go. 
This is why we need church. This is why we need each other. This is why we need community groups because we're all in this together. Because whenever we come together and we move towards Jesus and we find that we still have these things that have been, we've been allowing to wrap us up for way too long and we come together and we bear one another's burdens and we encourage each other and we build each other up and we point each other towards Jesus because in Jesus we find freedom. In Jesus you are free from the powers of hell. In Jesus, we are free from condemnation. In Jesus, we are free from anger and bitterness and depression. In Jesus, you are free from past regrets because in Jesus, you're free to live. In Jesus, you're free to have life in Christ. In Jesus, you're free to have a relationship with God and community with each other. You are free to live in peace. You are free to live in power. You are free to have life and life abundantly for all of eternity for who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? And Jesus, he approaches Lazarus' grave with his heated determination, groaning, because he knew he was about to go to war with death for you and for me. Because he knew that for us to experience freedom, he was going to have to give up his. He knew by giving Lazarus his life back, it was going to cost him his life. Because for us to be loosed, he would have to be chained. For us to be honored, he would have to be scorned. For us to be forgiven, he would have to be shamed. For us to be healed, he would have to be torn apart. And for us to come out of the grave, he would have to go into his. He literally loves you to death. But praise God, death couldn't hold him. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross because he knew the victory on the other side. And he invites us all to live within and stand in that victory. Like the famous saying, we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory, amen. It's already been given to us. Jalisa and Jenny, you guys can go ahead and come back up. We're going to close in time of worship, but let's pray together first. Oh, Father, thank you so much for all that you are. Thank you so much for the identity we get to find in you and in your love. Father, I pray that in this moment you would truly inhabit the praise. I pray that as we sing this final song, Lord, that our minds would truly be open to the magnitude of the gospel. Thank you that it's not a mystery to us anymore. But I pray that you would set our minds on who you are, all that you've done. And I pray you would stir something up within us, Father. I pray for personal revivals in all of our lives, in all of our homes, in all of our hearts. Father, do something in us so you can do something through us. Thank you that we get to be here. Thank you for this community we get to be a part of. And I pray that we would be a group that is so enamored with how much you love us, it would be contagious to the rest of the world. So Father, show us who you are. Show us more of your love. Help us to get over ourselves when we need to. Stand and worship with us one more time. Thank you so much for listening. 
If you want to share what you heard this week, make sure and tag at hope underscore HKY on Instagram or Hope Hickory on Facebook. If you want to partner with our ministry, you can give online at hopehickory.org.